You're listening to Captivate and Convert, the weekly podcast created to show you how to attract the people you actually want to work with and get paid to do what only you can do. I'm your host, Christy Sigelski, and each week you can expect legit marketing tips, biz building strategies, and expert advice that'll help you ditch the grind and feel more aligned so you can captivate and convert your audience. If you're ready to grow your business without the struggle, you're in the right place. This week, I'm chatting with Amy Collins on the podcast. Now, Amy is known for writing anecdote-driven, personality-packed copy that helps people connect with their audience and build brand loyalty. She also happens to be hilarious, which you'll find out if you sign up for her newsletter, Rude But Charming. She talks about, about that in the podcast a little bit. Now, Amy and I had a blast talking about storytelling, but there's a little bit of a twist here because... We dig into the psychology of why stories work to create a connection with your ideal clients and then how you can use them to build brand loyalty and make more sales. Then our conversation took a totally different turn and went on too long. So I had to break it into two episodes, which seems to be happening a lot lately. But more on that later. Amy Collins, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Christy. Thank you for having me. Of course. This is, this is going to be so good. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. I know, you know, mainly we're going to kind of dig into why stories work from an emotional and psychological perspective, which as someone who studied both writing and psychology in college, I'm really excited to geek out over that. But We also have a few other topics on the table, and I suspect we might possibly go over the time we've allotted if you're down with that. So maybe we'll split this into two episodes, but we'll see. This seems to be happening a lot more frequently over here at Captivate and Convert, so apparently I'm getting long-winded. And your guests too, and I'm certainly going to be one of them, so we're (laughs) in good company. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Now, you, my friend, have one of the longest and most interesting lists of titles So let's start with that. Let's start with the story of you and what you've been doing in the world. Yeah. So I've lived approximately 500 lives. I've had quite a few different careers, I guess you could call them. You know, after college, I moved to New York City and started waiting tables. I I had moved there to become a famous writer. I never wrote anything, but I did get into the restaurant business. And that turned me on to wine and I started really getting into wine and studying wine. And I still have the equivalent of a master's degree in wine theory, which is not that helpful to me today, but it's, it's good party tricks. Eventually I got into selling wholesale wine for an importer distributor. And that's where I really discovered that I was good at sales. I was good at conversation. I was good at listening to people, which I think all of these things are really important as a copywriter, obviously. Yeah. So I did that for a while and got to travel to some really cool places and that kind of burnt out on sales in New York. So I left and moved to Argentina to Buenos Aires and I lived down there for a year. Yeah. Yeah. And I started, well, I started teaching myself HTML and CSS. I was like, oh, I'm going to be a a website coder. This was back in, you know, the mid 2000s, I guess, or late 2000s. So it was still, you know, a cool thing. Whereas now it's like, three-year-olds are learning to code. So it's not that cool anymore. And down there, you know, I taught some English, conversational English. And then when I came back stateside, I 
did what any respectable 30 year old would do. And I moved back. I moved in with my mother and she really encouraged my interest in writing. And that's how I started writing to get paid as a journalist and then doing some content writing for companies in town and eventually copywriting, which like many copywriters, I've heard stories about that, you know, I didn't know it was copywriting at the time. I didn't call it that. I was just like, oh, I actually get paid for this writing as opposed to writing for magazines, right? Where you get like (laughs) a hundred bucks. Yeah, exactly. So that's kind of what I was doing. And then in and out of that and did development director. I can't even remember the title that I had for a nonprofit in New Orleans, which is where I live now. And so that's kind of what I called soft sales because you're still selling, but without a tangible product, it's a little bit different approach. And I don't remember if I did, if I mentioned this on the forum, but I drove rideshare for a while. So I drove Uber and Lyft in New Orleans, which is its own lifetime. I was going to say, I bet you met some interesting people in that journey. I did. I did. I had a total of two celebrities in my car, not together, two different trips which I won't reveal their names on the podcast just because it feels, as I don't know, gratuitous. I'm going to totally make you tell me afterwards. And I totally will. <laughs> I actually wrote about it in one of my email newsletters, but I only used first names and made everyone guess, which I think kind of <laughs> off my readers. Yeah. So anyway, that's what I was doing when lockdown hit in 2020 for a pandemic. So I lost my job and was actually drawing unemployment. I didn't know what else to do. And some writing gigs started coming back my way, copywriting gigs. And that's when I kind of was like, well, I should just, you know, I should just do this. I should lean into it. And so that's when I started building a proper business and getting really involved in copywriting communities and learning conversion copywriting and just, you know, going forward with this. And so that's where I am today. Well, you also forgot to mention that you happen to be a stand-up comic. And I think, don't you write like fiction on the side too? Oh my gosh, I've already told you so many things I forgot about. (laughs) I do dabble in fiction. I have written one mediocre novel. It's a lesbian erotica novel. Takes place in New Orleans. So it has has some nice darkness to it as well as some excitement, obviously. And yes, I do stand-up comedy, storytelling on stage, some improv comedy. So, yeah, and I'm still actively performing as things start to open up again here. Yeah, it's so inspiring to me to hear other people, I guess specifically copywriters, but it could be anybody who's, you know, in the business world, but that, you know, when you're doing things other than your job, like for fun, you know, like you're performing and you're writing for yourself. Like, I, I don't know, for some reason that, is has always been a struggle for me. It's like separating the two things or sort of figuring out how how I can do all of them without ha- having to fit it into my business, so to speak. So I don't know, like I just love hearing what other people are doing like that. It really just kind of fires me up. Yeah, it's definitely tricky. And it, it's something that I am integrating into my business, which I regularly ask myself, does this make sense? Can I be a stand-up comedian? And also be a copywriter. And it's like, well, I write funny emails, so I think it works. But at the same time, like checking that, that energy output, right? Like, am I going to go to an open mic tonight or am I going to rest so I can really knock that client project out the, out the park tomorrow? Right. So these are the things that I think, you know, come up. Like, where do you put your energy and make sure one isn't taking too much? 
Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. I mean, I never thought of it that way, but I mean, even just from a very practical sense of like, you only have so much time, but energy too. So how do you, how do you justify like what you're going to allot your time and energy to at any given day? Like what takes priority, you know? Exactly. And I've kind of gotten to a point where I don't manage time. I manage energy. So whatever, you know, because sometimes I may be like really drawn to do something today that, you know, like I said, going to an open mic and playing around with a bunch of other comedians and just playing around on stage, which is super fun. But what do I need to accomplish tomorrow? And if I do that tonight, will I have the energy that I need to do what I, what's really important to me tomorrow? And so it's not about time. It's just about you know, energy. It really comes down to that because do I have time to do both? Yes. But if I do the thing tonight, tomorrow, I, I may be tapped creatively. So it's, yeah. it's kind of balancing that. That's a really interesting way to look at it. So let me ask you this. If you do something that sounds like fun, like if you're feeling drawn to that open mic night, do you find that following sort of that impulse to do something fun gives you more energy in general or does it tend to take away your energy? Yeah. So it's, this is a thing that I'm recently learning how to do and it really has to do with thinking about tomorrow and the day after. And it's not just about how do I feel today? Cause I can feel super jazzed today, but you know, at 45, I, I, I've been living with myself for a long time and I have a pretty good idea how that's going to go over the next couple of days based on what I do today. So I feel like I've lost my train of thought a little bit, but that that's really kind of how I think about it is just you have to look ahead, right? It all comes back to like, we have to parent ourselves, you know, <laughs> yeah. looking out for me. Yeah, I love that. It, yeah, it makes sense. I mean, it's not, it's not, you definitely have to look a few steps ahead, you know, yeah, because I used to just base it on like, well, how do I feel today? Do I feel like being sociable? Do I feel like being around people? Yes, I do. But then I don't calculate in what what's my recovery time. And mine is lengthier than most people. So if it's going to take me all day tomorrow or half the day, and then that affects the other things I need to accomplish, well, then maybe it wasn't worth it. It was fun, but it's also important to me to, you know, have this great sales call and nail that sales call or nail that discovery call and make sure I kick off this new client project on the right foot, right? That's actually more important right now because I'm building a business, because my professional reputation is important, because I want the income, right? Like those things outweigh play. There's always room to play, you know? You can always come back to that. Sure. And you're just, you know, what's, I guess it depends kind of what season you're in too. For sure. All right. Well, before we get to, far off topic. I want to <laughs> kind of dive into, I mean, we've got lots, we've got lots to say, I'm sure. But I want to kind of dive into the, you know, the actual topic of the podcast. And I, I guess, you know, there's a lot of talk in the online marketing space and the copywriting space about using storytelling in your content and how important that is. But nobody's really talking about why or the psychology behind it. So while I know you don't claim to be a psychologist or a scientist, you do have an educated opinion on the subject. So can you talk a little bit about how our brains create and interpret a story? Yeah, for sure. So again, like you said, I'm not, you know, 
certified, although my therapist once told me at this point, I've read more about more about psychology than she has. But, you know, so our brains are wired to recognize pattern and apply meaning to those patterns, right? So in the simplest form, homo sapiens looking for food find berries in the forest, right? Eat berries, yum berries, don't get sick, great. So now the brain creates kind of a pattern and a remembrance of where to find berries. These berries are safe. This is food. So this is just very basic functioning survival, right? But the brain still does that. So, you know, an infant recognizes its mother's face and that becomes like a pattern in the brain and there's meaning attached to that. This is mom. Mom's taking care of me. Mom feeds me. Mom is, you know, my survival. But so, but when we tell stories, the brain is still working in the same way. So it's looking for patterns in the stories that it can relate to, that that applies meaning to. So you can tell me a story about an experience you had that might be nothing like an experience I've had in my life, and yet my brain might pick up on patterns, usually emotions that I can relate to, or feelings, you know, which are emotions. And so that creates a sense of understanding. It creates Meaning it creates a sense of connection, which is what we're really talking about in the end. Whether you're talking about just, you know, getting along with people or creating a good life or we're talking about sales, at the end of the day, we want authentic connection. Yeah. So and I think, you know, most of us would agree on the importance of connecting with our quote unquote ideal clients and, you know, storytelling can help facilitate that. But why, why does it work so well? Yeah, I think it works because it, I think there's nuance to it. There's entertainment to it. It's not just, you know, if you're looking at a presentation that just has a lot of data to it, that has a lot of bullet points, you know, it's, it's hard to remember all those things because, I mean, it's not that interesting, right? But it's, it's also more, I don't know if I'm, you know, officially correct on this. I don't know if it's more abstract. I mean, it seems more straightforward and rational, but. For the brain, perhaps it's more abstract compared to just how we're wired, which is to understand and interpret narrative. So I think that works. It works on a lizard brain level, right? But it also works, I think, just on a higher level in that, I mean, I don't want an email that just all fails all the time or that just, you know, a promo coupon for something. I want, I want to be entertained, right? You know, it's, I mean, for the love of capitalism, entertain me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. So from a from a practical perspective, like, you know, if something that people can kind of take away from this, how can we use stories to build loyalty with our audience and, you know, eventually make those sales? Yeah, absolutely. And this is, you know, these aren't original thoughts at all, but, you know, our goal is to build the no trust and like factors or no like and trust, whatever the order is, doesn't matter. But that's that's what we're all wanting to do with our audience, our prospective clients, customers, whether it's for ourselves or our clients. And that's what stories can do because it allows us either as a it, as a personal brand or as a company brand to share insight, to share work philosophies, business philosophies, life philosophies, personal stories that show some vulnerability, some human side, which a, a brand can certainly do that, even if it's not a personal brand. And, you know, it, 
that's how you build that, like that loyalty, the trust and the no like and the familiarity is through communication. It's through sharing. So what are, what are some of the, some of the stories that you find that you connect most with? Like when you, if you get it, if you get an email that you just absolutely love, like what are some of the, are there any rules around that? Are there any things that you, that stand out to you that you're like, oh, this is what makes this really good? For me personally? Yeah. I think probably when I read emails, I don't think about them quite in, in terms of structure in the way that I would if I were teaching how to, how to write emails, right? But I think, you know, humor always gets me. I mean, if you can make me laugh and that's, that's true for anyone. If you can make people laugh, you're, you're golden, right? It's like that instant dopamine oxytocin hit. But, you know, I mean, I have some pet peeves that certainly turn me off, but I like to hear, I like to hear vulnerability from people. I like to hear stories that just so- sound real. And of course, you know, well-crafted, solid language, those things, you know, those things turn me on. They get me excited about whatever it is I'm reading. Yeah. What about like if you were talking about or talking to somebody about how to, you know, write a great email? Are there any rules that you would say apply, you know, in terms of even like what's okay to share and what is not okay to share or what's a good subject to talk about and what's not? Yeah. I was kind of fascinated. Different people see this, this topic. Yeah. And I love that you're asking this because I'm actually, once we finish recording this podcast today, I'm working on a workshop that's pretty much exactly about this. So I'm trying to figure out how to, how I, how I think about it and how I want to share it with other people. Oh, perfect. Yeah, right. I hope maybe I'll figure it out as we talk. <laughs> as far as like what, what to share, what's too much to share. I, I think that's such a personal decision that depends on the person sharing and the audience to an extent. And it also depends on what we're talking about, right? Are we talking about newsletters for our personal brand to our list? I think it depends on what your end goal is, what you're selling, what you're, are you trying to engage, you know, what, What's your CTA in a sense? You know, in my newsletter, I share all kinds of stuff. I'm not sure I should be sharing, you know, it's like pretty open. And that, you know, same thing with comedy. Some of the things that I say on stage, I'm like, wow, I just, I just said that. (laughs) But, you know, if it gets a laugh, then it works, right? End goal. Right. But I think the most important thing probably is not so much what you share, it's how you're able to tie that into your CTA, but also how it really is going to relate to your audience. Specifically, if you have a product you're selling or a course or something like that, you know, it always comes back to why should they care, right? So your story should demonstrate why should the reader care? Why should they even bother opening your email and reading what you've written? And that's subjective, of course. And it's tricky. And I think it takes a lot of trial and error and a lot of time to get it right. Yeah, definitely. I think I used to really look at the structure of my emails and really, you know, try so hard to make it follow a certain pattern so that it, you know, always was offering something, but tying into the, you know, the real topic of the email or whatever. And I really find myself lately just sort of playing around with different formats and almost like using some of my emails or 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 portions of some of them almost like like I used to 
have a, a a personal blog, you know, just just sort of playing around to to see like what feels good, what do I feel like talking about today? And you know, I generally always have a point, I think, but it's it's not always business related or, you know, to do with a specific product or service. And I feel like I always was very like oh, it has to be this way. It has to be this way. And I'm just kind of having a little bit more fun with it, which is kind of cool. Yeah, I love that because I actually, I, th- I think we could all be having more fun with our emails because it's a great opportunity to play. And I think we do get trapped in when sometimes when you have too much structure, it really zaps the creativity, right? And it kind of takes takes the fun out of it. And I think, you know, certainly you don't want to always be selling, right? Like you're, you're sort of like always selling without always selling, which is a very gray area to find balance in. But I do typically adhere to, as far as structure, a good subject line, obviously, a solid lead sentence that hooks the readers. And that is true of anything you're ever going to write, whether it's a top headline on a homepage, or the opening to a novel, or the first line in an email. If you don't capture their attention, they're not going to stick around because why would they, right? So that's kind of a rule of thumb, I think, for any type of writing. In fact, I even argue in text messages, your first line of text should be somehow interesting or friendly or something. I don't know. I just came up with that. So that's a working hypothesis. You know, God, and the then, pressure. I know, right? I know it. <laughs> You're going to think three times now before you ever send me a DM on Instagram. Again. I know. <laughs> this has to be good. I'm not that judgy. It's okay. But yeah, and I think, you know, but as far as like playing around with the structure in in the middle, I really like to have a lot of fun with wordplay, with building pattern within the email, which can be repeating a certain word, playing around with the grammar, ellipsis. I love ellipsis. Oh my bolding. God, I'm addicted yeah, yeah. I probably overuse it, but I I love it. I use it in text messages a lot also. And I even put the spaces in between each one, which makes sending a text message kind of laborious. Not possible to overuse it. I love yeah. it. Great. I'm glad we're on the same page. So tune in next week for part two of this conversation where Amy and I get into how we can all work on changing the internal stories that aren't serving us. Now, in this next one, we both share some of the tools we've used to work on that, like mindset work, meditation, and even microdosing. You definitely don't want to miss it. Hey, hey, thanks for tuning into the podcast today. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love for you to support the podcast by leaving a five-star review and subscribing and sharing it with your biz besties. Your ratings and reviews help us reach more listeners who want to leave hustle mode behind and grow their businesses with ease. And don't forget to post a screenshot of this episode on your IG stories and tag me at Christy Sigelski so I can repost you. If you want to take the guesswork out of what to say in your emails and how to say it in a way that resonates with the people you actually want to work with, you need to grab my brand new freebie. Now, you've probably heard me say this at least a hundred times, but connection is what leads to conversions and making your subscribers feel seen and heard is the key to making that connection and building the relationship. So I put together a sweet little guide for you that breaks down my connect, captivate, and convert framework, 
which teaches you how to become biz besties with your subscribers and gives you the goods on converting them to clients organically. Now, because I know the next logical question is probably what should I write about in my emails? There's a bonus section with a list of newsletter ideas that's going to give you swipeable email content for months. This is honestly the most value-packed freebie I've ever created, and I really can't wait for you to get your hands on it. So if you're ready to write emails that sell without all the bro marketing mayhem, go grab the free guide, How to Write Emails That Sell, plus 20 must-read newsletter ideas at the link in the show notes.